Welcome to another edition of NBA Sound System. Carlin Gay alongside Mike Adams and Gil McGregor. I said the th- triple threat last time, so again, it's I can roll with that. The big three. Like Let's I'll go with the big three. The big three. I'll take. I'll take. Go the big three with time. Uh, we have huge podcast today. Huge podcast. This weekend, we will see the Battle of LA in all its finest. No excuses. Hopefully, no load management. Hopefully, both teams come to play. And that's happening on Sunday for the world to watch on ABC. We'll get into that. We'll also talk about the Rockets Clippers beatdown that we saw on Thursday night. But we have to start with a welcome back. Welcome back, Steph Curry. The NBA is back. Let's go, baby. The NBA is back. Uh, Steph Curry made his return Thursday night against the Toronto Raptors. No one was expecting this team to win, uh, the Golden State Warriors, of course. But um, seeing Steph play, for me, felt like the Warriors as a team are back, like the franchise are back. They're watchable again. The NBA is just better when Steph Curry's out so there too. hitting threes, smiling. He just like... He he emits a reaction from his teammates that I I don't even think that anyone else comes close. Like he hits that crazy fallaway three uh, midway through the game to to beat the shot clock, and like the bench erupted. Like they just like he just hit a shot to win a playoff game, yeah. and they're, they're the last place team in the league in a meaningless game in March. And I mean, you saw like LeBron come out and say how happy he was that Steph Curry was back. He just the NBA is just a better place when he's out there, man. Yeah, for sure. You talk about that. You talk about like the the reaction he emits amongst his teammates, and then just the energy in the Chase Center. Like, it felt like again, like watching the Warriors, watching that that environment. It didn't feel like a playoff game, but it certainly didn't feel like it was a team that's like almost at fifty losses. You know, out there, the, the fans just on the edge of their seats for whatever he's going to do, the behind-the-back passes, the three-pointers. And that was, like, kind of the concern. Like, is he going to be rusty? But, like, and obviously he missed 58 games, so there are going to be some things they need to improve on. But, like, a lot of that Steph was being Steph. And like you said, like, it just it's just fun to watch and it's great for the game. I'm glad that you brought up the crowd part of it because I think that's another thing that's unique to Steph. Like, LeBron gets it going and, like, yeah, sure, for stretches, you know, the Staples Center will come alive and, like, Kawhi's not really embedded in LA yet. And like Giannis in Milwaukee, that'll kind of get loud, but not really. There's not a single guy in the league that comes close to getting his crowd into it. Like Steph, when Steph Curry starts draining threes and really feeling himself, that there's nothing like a Warriors crowd uh, when he's got it going on. That, that makes him, he's not the best player in the league, but he's the whole most wholly unique guy in the league uh, when it comes to really just getting the most out of his crowd. Absolutely. He's like, he's a showman in, in like the, the purest form. You talk about like, you know, seeing like kind of artists, you know, at their highest level, like seeing Steph Curry shoot his jumper and, and get hot. It's literally like watching an artist, you know, kind of master their craft. And I think that uh, that's kind of how he just has that control over the crowd because he's a showman. Yeah. Uh, Steph getting back, I think thumbs up across the board from not just us three, but as you said, LeBron coming out and using his, you know, platform to say, welcome back, Steph. Uh, I I forgot how fun it was to watch Steph Curry. Um, and it's easy because in the NBA, there's so many games, so many things happen. There's so many guys that are missing time. Like Kevin Durant has missed an entire season, uh, and we won't see him until next year. And I'll have the same feeling that I had Thursday night watching Steph, watching KD when he gets back to being Kevin Durant on the floor and reminding myself, damn, he, this guy's pretty good at basketball, and we just spent – Half the year without him, I'm talking about Steph, and we're going to spend a full year without Kevin Durant, and we're spending a full year without Clay Thompson as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, the Warriors 
when they get healthy, I think Thursday night reminded me how good they can be, uh, how good they were in the past. And I am so excited for next season uh, because you guys know I'm extremely biased towards Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> that is my guy. And just watching the one game that Steph had with Wiggins playing side by side, Wiggins hasn't played with a better player than Steph Curry ever. Not even close. Ever. Not remotely close. Ever. All right. Everyone in Minnesota, Wiggins has never played with anyone close to Steph Curry. I don't have to name names for you guys to figure out who I'm talking about. He hasn't played with anybody better than Steph Curry in Kansas when he was playing basketball there. Up in Canada, doesn't matter where he was, hasn't played with anybody better than Steph Curry. And that was Steph Curry off of a 58-game absence. And we got probably one of the better showings from Andrew Wiggins. One of the things that I thought was really telling that I think we're going to see a lot more. So you, you look at little games. You look at one game like this and you try to try to draw some giant grand conclusion from it. But one one of the things that I found very, really interesting, so Steph plays 27 minutes right. in his debut. Andrew Wiggins was on the floor for all 27 oh, of the minutes I that Curry it. was out there. Like that is that is very purposeful. That's intentional, and I would venture to guess that even if Steph isn't isn't playing more than 25, 27 minutes a night, that staff is going to want to see Andrew Wiggins next to Steph Curry as much as they can. And look, in the twenty seven mi- minutes that Wiggy was out there with Curry, he goes nine of sixteen from the floor. The ten minutes he plays without Curry, zero for four, didn't make a bucket. And I mean, you saw Curry assist him on three different times. We can get into that a little bit more. But even the manner in which that Curry was setting setting Wiggins up and making his life easier, it kind of just it gives you a glimpse for what's to come once they get Clay back, once they get Draymond back, once they get whoever they're going to draft at the top. Like this is going to be a really good team, and Curry is going to make Andrew Wiggins look like an entirely different player. Yeah, you know, prior to his return, they they asked Stephen Curry about Andrew Wiggins, and he called him. He said he's a, he's a walking twenty points. You know, this is a guy who's averaging that for his career. He's a guy who almost effortlessly can go out and get you twenty points. And like you said, has never played with a cast as talented as he's going to in Golden State. And the one thing that Steph emphasizes is that it's a fifteen month plan. It's not a, a you know a, a two month plan, a fifteen week plan, whatever the case may be. You know, they're thinking. You know, April 2021, when this team will likely be back towards the top of the Western Conference with Clay, with Draymond, with whoever they decide to draft, it's a really scary prospect because Andrew Wiggins, for the first time, is probably going to be the, the third, fourth option a lot of times. And that's really scary when this is a guy who can go out and get you 40. Um, I think that makes the Warriors a really, really, really scary threat. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but you mentioned nah, go. the draft. You, Let's go. You mentioned the draft pick. But what if they don't use it? What if they go out and try to get more talent to because Steph's 31, Clay's coming off the major injury, Draymond just signed the big deal, so this is his last really uh, prime years. That's your core. You don't want to waste time here. There, there's no time to wait on a James Wiseman, uh, who, who knows what he's going to end up being in the NBA, LaMelo Ball, who knows what he's going to be. There's so much up in the air surrounding the draft. What if they go out and you know use that pick that's going to be a high pick, assuming they win the lottery, uh, to to get more assets, and now you have those three guys who I mentioned. If Wiggins is not a part of that deal, he's still he's still there in Golden State, and now you can make a run next year against a team that uh, you know a, a wide open Western Conference is pretty competitive. I'm going to disagree with you. 
I, I understand. Do you think they I, go for it uh, in no, terms of no. using well, draft? See, I I understand the the need and the want to maybe flip that pick for somebody that can help you more now. Right. Uh, but I also like you hear so much about how like Golden State wants to be the next San Antonio, right? And so at some point along the line, mean? at what some that? The, just the sustained greatness, right? Like okay. Steph Curry eventually, if, if Steph Curry is their Tim Duncan, eventually he's going to cede it to somebody else. Okay. The, the Spurs drafted Kawhi Len. Now that wasn't at the very top, but they could have easily flipped the pick that they drafted Kawhi Leonard and used that to get a sixth or seventh rotation piece right. to, to make another run. But at some point, you've got to start restocking the cupboard. And so I look at Golden State and I think that like Curry, Thompson, Draymond, Wiggy, whoever, they're going to get buyout guys. They're going to get veterans on, on minimum deals that are going to want to chase, chase titles and play. They're going to be fine. Uh, and I, I don't know, like if I were them, I would take a real long, hard look at, at Wiseman and maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, like in three years, maybe that's our version of what Kawhi was in San Antonio. And that, and that just helps them keep this thing going. Yeah. That's the tricky thing about this year's draft. You know, you mentioned with James Wiseman, we don't know what he's going to be. So it almost seems like it puts a cap on what you can fetch for this pick that you could potentially move. And, and then you talk about, you think about passing the keys off to who it is. I think it makes it a little bit tricky because like, do you, if you get a big man, like, like Wiseman, or if it's maybe LaMelo Ball who you try to, you know, continue to do the guard thing through him, you don't know what's going to come of it. But at the same time, I think that same quality of a player that you probably would have gotten for the number one or number two, number three overall pick in this draft is the same caliber of guy that you probably would get on that buyout market or a guy who's going to take, you know, a reduced deal to come and try and win a championship with Steph and with Clay. So I think that they should probably hold on and see like, you know, what this guy can be. Because I mean, I don't think there's anything that's going to limit them from if it doesn't work to trading that person and somebody else being like, okay, well, maybe we can develop this guy. And then maybe you get that that move, you know, maybe later in the season and then try to fetch something for it's, that. It's worth pointing out, too, that they also got Minnesota's 2021 mm-hmm. first-round pick, mm-hmm. right? So that's another big-time trade chip that they have. It, you know, if they decide to move their own pick, they still have that one to look forward to. Or maybe they move they, they move the if, – if people think that the Timberwolves are going to stink, I mean, that's a potentially more – uh, that's a potentially better asset than their own pick. So it's not like this is the one trade chip that's that fair. they have, right? They, they, got, they got some options there. And I also want to be clear in the, in the fact that I said the draft, no one knows what any of these guys are going to be like. We don't know what anybody, you know, yeah, anybody's yeah, going to yeah. be like in any draft. It's very rare that you get the Zion Williamson draft. It's very rare that you get the Anthony Davis draft where you have that surefire number one overall pick. Most drafts are a crapshoot. Most drafts are this one probably more than most, but most drafts are this. They so. just they just hope they don't end up with Anthony Bennett. Yeah, well, even Anthony Bennett wouldn't be that bad for them. Oh, come on. <laughs> You, you ride for your boy, yeah, Anthony Bennett. We're not, make it work anywhere. We're not so going to do that. Right? We're not, we're not spending right, any more time on Anthony Bennett. I apologize, Anthony Bennett, man. They're trying to kill you out here. Uh, one thing that did stand out to me before we move on to the Rockets-Clippers uh, game was the way that Wiggy spoke post-game about playing with Steph Curry. He said he makes everyone great. He obviously talking about Steph Curry. Uh, he makes everyone play better. He finds open men. He's the most unselfish superstar. Um, that is a huge like Wiggy doesn't go out and give quotes like that. Like rarely do you see the Andrew Wiggins said headline. It's probably happened three times in his NBA career, 
and most of them were well. The one that really stands out was him laughing about not being in the top 100 for a, a meaningless list before the start of the season. He doesn't normally talk about his teammates this way, and he spent all that time in Minnesota. And I don't think he really went out of his way to give credit to Cat the way that he gave credit to Steph after playing one game. With him. I, I don't remember ever hearing Andrew Wiggins say anything profound in a positive way, mm. right? And the fact that you're exactly right, the fact that he's doing that, I mean, that kind of also speaks to the culture and what, what is already happening to him. I mean, the guy, he's barely been there a month. Yeah. And already you can see he's starting to think the game differently, speak it differently, play it differently. We talked about those those three uh, dimes that Curry had to Wiggins. You know, on on two of them, it's Steph drawing five defenders basically, and and then hitting Wiggy for you know whether it's a driving kick that leads to an and one or just a little lay in at the dunker spot. There's another one that Steph gets a rebound and he just fires an outlet to Andrew Wiggins. There's no way Andrew Wiggins is running the floor like that <laughs> ever <laughs> in Minnesota. I, not doing I that. still hear Doris Burke in my in the back of my right. head. Just crushing Wiggy for never moving, and he, look, he's already that. That's a version of Andrew Wiggins. That one play that we never saw in Minnesota. Again, I think it reemphasizes or reiterates kind of what you said. Like he's never played with anybody this good, and I think that you know a combination of the the, the winning culture. Even though I mean, talk about a winning culture for a team that has like fifty losses. Like to think that like they just do winning things the way they develop people. I think that that like breeds a new attitude, a, a new perspective on a lot of things. And just playing with somebody as special as Steph Curry, I think that's bringing the best out of him already. And I think he's starting to understand and realize the potential of what he could be a part of. And, and knowing that he's a part of that that long term plan, knowing he'll play on a contender, you know, in, in a year's time. I think that that is definitely having an impact on who he is, and, and the results are showing the way he's playing. Do you guys think that this tenure with the Warriors, however long it ends up being, will redefine how people look at the totality of Andrew Wiggins' career, if, even if they don't win a championship? Just him playing at a higher level and being useful. Because remember, he is a number one overall pick. Before he arrived in Golden State, had he still been in Minnesota, we wouldn't be talking about him as long as we were to open a podcast. And secondly, people were a lot of people were calling him an absolute bust. So he's putting he's going to put up the same numbers, but they're going to mean something different if he's in a winning situation, right? So does that impact the way that we look at the whole of his career? I I, I hope so, because I I think that. Absolute bust is a bit strong. I know there are people that that say that. Yeah. I think it's all relative. You don't you don't come in and average twenty three a game <laughs> and be a complete bust. Right. Like they, he's not he's not like a complete scrub. That's he's, a he's not ninth Anthony Benny. He's not Anthony Benny. No, he's, he's like, not Michael Alawakandi. Yeah. He's not mm-hmm. Andrew. I mean, Andrew Wiggins. But but there is something to be said for never have you ever watched him and thought to yourself, wow, he's really contributing to winning or he's doing things other than maybe having a nice scoring night, right? So I do think that he's got a chance for a, a kind of a – even redemption feels strong because I feel like you say like, oh, it's a tale of redemption. That means that he is, was down in the dumps and you know on his way out and out of the league. Right. And I mean, that, he wasn't that. So I, yes and no, I think. 
Yeah, you know, you talk about it. it's not redemption because there's always a spot for a guy who's going to get you 20 points, you know, every night. I think it'll change the narrative. I think that, you know, with a sustained tenure in, in Golden State, I think people will kind of start to look at the hand he was dealt to come into the league. This guy is drafted by Cleveland and then kind of dealt, you know, this the team that you kind of expresses to you that they that they want you to kind of be the franchise guy. And it makes sense. They did it for LeBron. I think he understands that. But going to Minnesota, I think it'll – I think – over time, it'll kind of show that the culture in Minnesota wasn't necessarily conducive for him to be successful and and develop as a guy who's more than a scorer who can contribute to winning in other ways. Like this guy is just twenty five years old, like like a like a fresh twenty five years old. Mm-hmm. So he has so much time ahead of him, um, and what he's able to do in Golden State, even if he has another destination beyond Golden State, I do think he's going to learn a lot of winning ways, and we'll see what he's really capable of. The the situation I I, I threw out that. You know, the whole Warriors Spurs comparison. And look, this situation is entirely different than the one in San Antonio, but they had that one reset year, right? And at the end of that reset year, they draft him, Duncan, and boom, here we go. Steph Curry, right now, the exact same age that David Robinson was during San Antonio's reset year. So I don't know. I, I, I think that all signs are pointing to Golden State coming back in a very big way. You guys know I'm high on Golden State, so mm-hmm. I, I, there, there's no uh, no other thing to say that. The one thing I will say is that losing – you always often hear the, thing, the, the, the term losing franchises make excuses uh, and really don't find solutions. Well, you can also make that term for winning franchises as well. Uh, winning franchises find a way to make excuses but in a positive way. So if Wiggins – has a positive impact in Golden State, which we all expect him to do because of the situation that he's in, well, we're going to make excuses for him saying that he had a tough, like you said, a tough hand dealt to him spending his time in Minnesota, and we're going to look at it, and the numbers are going to be the same. Everything's going to be the same except for the wins, and I think that's the big difference. At when the he end changes of the day. everything. Man. I honestly will maintain to this day, if he stayed in Cleveland with LeBron James, his career would be a thousand times different. Than yeah. what it is right now. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, we watched a brutal beatdown on Thursday before we got to Steph Curry's return. Uh, thankful that Steph saved the day because I would have had nightmares going to bed after watching the game between the Houston Rockets and the LA Clippers. Um, I'm at a point right now after watching that game, and I was high, not high on Houston, but I was more <laughs> optimistic on Houston uh, being able to get to the second round than I think most people were way before they made this change to the small ball. Um, now, if they find a way to match up with the LA Clippers in the first round, I think Deontay Wilder's manager might have to throw in the towel in game three. <laughs> it will be over at that point. Uh, it is going to be ugly. I saw Houston, who were clearly up for the game, going into the game, not knowing what to do by the time the second quarter rolled around, and, and the Clippers were just guarding them one-on-one. For the, enti- for the most part of the game. I know they did some things to force James Harden to try and go a certain way. I get that. But James has seen that in the past. Mm-hmm. He's seen that in playoff series for four straight seasons. And the fact that he still looks like he can't figure that simple little bit out scares me. I, I really think that the Clippers would shellac the Rockets if they played in a first round series, they need to avoid the Houston Rockets or the, the LA Clippers. Yeah, they want no parts of that. That that was that was ugly. You know, I know we won't we probably won't see the Rockets go seven for forty two from deep again, but I mean we might. You know, I think that 
Um, they just really don't have have much of an answer f- for that. You know, I think that it goes back to the Clippers mentality. One thing we kind of talked about on a, on a previous pod was when the Rockets did that small ball thing uh, against the Lakers, and the Lakers seemed a little like tentative and didn't really know what to do, and it kind of affected their their offensive flow. The, the Clippers are, are so aggressive, and I, I remember there was one possession: is Eric Gordon guarding Montrezl Harrell on the block, and, and Montrezl Harrell isn't going to like be cute about. It. He's going to go through your chest, and he's going to you know make you regret have putting a smaller guy on there. I think that's just kind of a, a microcosm of what the Clippers do, that that grit that they have and the ability to just, you know, impose their will in all facets of the game. I think that that just gives them a clear advantage over. over I think, like you watch the Clippers and it's not like they did anything particularly special or played out of their minds. It wasn't like hot shooting. It wasn't an out-of-body experience by Kawhi. It wasn't the bench. It was just... It was just like an average game for them, and it looked so easy. Now, I do think that there's something to be said for why it's not it's not going to be that easy every time. Like Houston, like you said, they're not going to go 7 for 42. They're not going to miss 20 straight threes <laughs> at one point, which they did. And they actually got really good looks. They just didn't hit them. Uh, the, the tracking numbers on NBA.com set that 36 of the 42 attempts had no defender within four feet, right. and they just missed them. Right, so there's gonna be nights where they hit five more of those, and all of a sudden it's not a blowout anymore. But one of the things that I do think is, uh, you know, replicable, and here's where Houston's gonna have a problem. So the top four defenders on James Harden, who was terrible, awful, awful, Hmm. but they threw Patrick Beverly, Marcus Morris, Kawhi, and Paul George at him. Those are the same guys he's gonna see in a playoff series. Russell Westbrook was a little bit better. Still, like, struggled shooting, was 11 of 27. However, he was 5 of 9 against Reggie Jackson. You know who's not playing in a playoff series? Reggie Jackson. He was 3 of 5 against Zubac. They're going to pull Zubac in a playoff series against him. He was 3 of 13 against everybody else. So the guys that Westbrook is going to see in a playoff series, he couldn't do anything against, right? So the Clippers are just in in a position where they have so many bodies that are switchy, that can defend, that can get up and face. They close out on shooters better than anyone in the league. Look, Houston is not going to go 7 for 42, but it, it just might not matter because, like I said, the Clippers can also get hot, and they did not get hot, uh, and they still won like like they were playing the, the Charlotte Bobcats. The, the one thing I want to point out, though, is that you mentioned Russ you know, having the struggle from the field. I think what – the worst possible outing for Russ will be what we saw on Thursday night against the Clippers. He, he may not have 29 points in his worst possible outing, but he's going to be 40% from the field. He's going to be around that mark from the field. He's going to look like that, you know, in, in a game where they can guard you with multiple, you know, really lockdown defenders one-on-one and, and switch and all that stuff. I, I'm, in, I'm in shock that Harden just looked that bad, like I said, against defense that he's seen before. Like he he has it's not brand new stuff that they're bringing to the table, and I doubt that they're going to change much if these two f- you know play each other in the playoffs. It's it's you know force him to go right and force him to make decisions going right. And at this point in his career, if he wants to be a successful player, and Harden talked a lot of trash the last two weeks. He went at Giannis. He talked about how teams are are targeting him defensively. He went out and said he's a beast. And then to come out with that performance on Thursday night, if you're going to open your mouth and bring it on the microphone, and then lay an egg on the court. Shut the hell up then. You can't do that. You cannot do <laughs> you that. Can't do you can't that. do that. 
You can't do that. That was an embarrassing performance out of James Harden. And like I said, that game was over by halftime. Third quarter, the Rockets tried to come out a little bit. James Harden didn't play at all in the fourth quarter. The game was that the game was over in the fourth quarter, and I know if people look at the boss score, they see that uh, Houston scored 40 points in the fourth quarter, and it still didn't matter. Like That's a lot of points for it not to matter on the, on the grand scheme of things, and your best player looked like he never played basketball before. Yeah, he was 0 for 3 in the second half. Didn't Basically, I mean, he was had the same impact that you or I had, and we're sitting here in Charlotte. And that's on the floor. and when you go into halftime, you see how a team's defending you. You're able to then sit there for 20 minutes with whether your coaching staff or your own assessment and look at tape and say, "All right, this is what they're doing. This is I'm going to come out and attack it in the second half." That didn't happen. There was no halftime adjustment made. That was a bad performance. I mean, that's been kind of the hallmark of James Harden's entire postseason career. I know this isn't a playoff game, but it might as well be right because we've seen Harden been be incredible. In game one of a series, and then just completely fall flat, or 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 if not fall flat, then certainly not elevate his game. Right? Uh, we we've seen him have trouble adjusting, and the Clippers more than anyone are going to make him adjust within the context that the context of a single game, within the context of a single series. One of the things that really stands out to me. So we've been talking all year about how Houston is running people off the floor. They're the fastest team in the league. They get out in transition. You know how many shots they took in transition the first half? Don't. One. (laughs) (laughs) They got outscored 17 to 2 on the break by the Clippers who don't even run. Yeah. Like what's like that that's a that's a the Clippers just toying around and saying we can do what you do better than everyone, better than you. Yeah. That was a playoff pace. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the pace because that was a playoff pace. Like Houston was shooting, I, I think, three-pointers. They're close to 50 in the last month or two since February. They're close to 50 attempts, and they only got up, as you said, what was it, 42? 42. 42. 42. That's eight, le- you know, eight less shots that they, they would have, and those probably are coming in the transition game. So that's the pace that they're going to be playing come playoff time. We're, we're going to see them take those type of shots. Uh, obviously, if they make a couple more threes, maybe the game changes a little bit, especially them being at home. The crowd gets into it a little bit. Who knows? But I I just was shocked by the way that James Harden performed. He has to be better. Um, they're right now, Houston Rockets at the time of recording this, tied for fourth place in the Western Conference, tied with the Utah Jazz. They own the tiebreaker over Utah. Is there a team other than the Clippers that Houston does not want to play in the first round? I think they might not want to see OKC. You know, there's a little bit of, uh, of history there, a little familiarity. Chris Paul's in, in a new spot. They're just a solid team. I don't. I think that they have the personnel to be like a, a little, I guess, malleable to like, I guess, counteract whatever Houston tries to do. I think OKC is, is a sneaky team with vets that have been on the playoff stage before, and they can make things difficult for Houston. I worry. I wor- I, I think the guards on OKC could give Houston some trouble. I do worry about. Like Steven Adams, we've yeah. seen really like Damian Lillard completely ruined Steven Adams last year when they played in the playoffs. I would worry that that would happen again with with uh, with Houston. I I don't know. I I think that what the Rockets are doing is awesome. I've been a big proponent, a big fan of of the super small ball. I actually think it works against everybody except the Clippers. I. I I don't know. Even even a team like the Lakers, I don't think Houston's going to be scared of anybody. Um, I just think when when push comes to shove, you know maybe Denver could 
could be could be a problem for them just because I, I think Jokic presents an issue offensively that they just don't have any like P, God bless PJ Tucker, but you know he's he's not the answer uh, for Jokic. But I I would pr- so I guess Denver would be my answer. But I'm know. I'm with you. I don't really see anyone other than the Clippers in the first round that they would see that might be an issue. I think they could get past pretty much everybody. I know a lot of people are picking OKC, but I think OKC's best means that Steven Adams is on the floor, and I just don't know how he's going to be able to play at a high level and be effective if he's having to guard Russell Westbrook somewhere so, on the perimeter. So this, yeah, and this is one of those things that I, that I think, you know, we talk about uh, sometimes the, the NBA playoffs can end up being like the NCAA tournament where it's just about matchups mm-hmm. and when you play certain teams. And this is one of the important parts of the Clippers now rising, getting clear of that 4-5 because there is a world in which the Clippers and Lakers play each other in the second round and the Lakers beat the Clippers right. and the Rockets never even have to go through the one team that they don't have any answers for. Right. Right. And if there's a world in which Houston suddenly finds itself in a conference final against the Lakers, I don't know. They're not going to be favored, right? It's still a long shot, but they could get that done. But now it looks like with the way that the Clippers are coming on, that, that that's going to be one, two. In, in which case, at some point, you, you're just you're going to have to go through the Clippers. Well, if you're if you're Houston, you're happy to play LA in the second round, the LA Lakers in the second round after seeing what you were able to, the success that you were able to I have agree. in a regular season. So uh, interesting for Houston Rockets. So well, I'm I'm sitting here killing them, and especially James Harden, they can end up in the conference finals. And and to me, if they were able to do that, that's a huge success, yeah. big success for them. Yeah. Um, Battle of LA, the real conference finals. No matter when it happens, first round, second round. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. This, to me, is I know one of the two teams that are going to come out and represent represent the Western Conference, barring injury. Uh, they go head to head on Sunday. I don't know it's who it's a home game for. Doesn't really matter. It's going to be a Laker home game. It's a Laker home game. It's always, <laughs> it's going, it's always going to be a Laker home yeah. game. But the Lakers are zero two heading into this matchup. Uh, they've played the, they played the Clippers opening night, then Christmas Day. So the spotlight has been on these matchups. It hasn't flown under the radar. They do have the one game remaining that was moved uh, after the untimely death of Kobe Bryant. This one isn't that. That's played later on in the season. But this one is a huge game. Uh, there's going to be a lot of emotion in the arena for both sides. The Clippers, as you said, Mike, are playing their best basketball right now. So this is probably the best version of the Clippers that the Lakers have seen. The Lakers, though... As a team, I don't think they're playing their best basketball, but I think LeBron James is playing his best basketball of the season. And I, I'm i calling Anthony Davis out. This is Let's his go. game. There we go. Anthony Davis, this is your time to, to, to become something in L.A. You are playing in a city where there have been great big men that have worn the same jersey as you. Shaq, Wilt, Kareem, go down the list. All-time greats. You can walk outside Staples Center. They're all immortalized with statues. Not not Dwight Howard? Dwight Howard doesn't have the (laughs) the statue outside. And Dwight Howard's on the team now. But this is an Anthony Davis game. If he wants to endear himself to the Laker fan base, and I know he's having a nice season, might even win Defensive Player of the Year. But if he wants to endear himself to the Laker fan base more so than LeBron has or anybody else and become a a quote-unquote Laker, this is a game where he has to show up and not play well, play well and get the W. You know why it's you know why it's an Anthony Davis game? Why? Because it's not going to be a LeBron game. Kawhi owns <laughs> LeBron. Kawhi owns him. He's won five straight against him. Their last fifteen meetings, Kawhi is twelve and three against LeBron. 
over that stretch, averaging about 10 more points a game. Mm. Uh, on Christmas, LeBron goes 9 of 24 from the field. Kawhi guarded him more than anyone else. LeBron took just two shots the mm. entire time Kawhi was guarding him. That is shades of the 2014 finals when anytime LeBron was covered by Kawhi, he couldn't do anything. <laughs> he couldn't shoot. He couldn't get open. He'd give it up, and he couldn't get it back. Uh, Kawhi, more than anyone else, turns LeBron into a passive version uh, that is just is completely foreign to any other semblance uh, of what we think of when we think LeBron James. Kawhi has been so much better than LeBron in these two uh, earlier games this season, and and back in the in the, in the season opener, uh, I mean they ran, they dominated that game in a game that Paul Seriously. George didn't even play. In. Yeah, he wasn't even, he was in a suit. Yeah, the like we talk about that. Like the Clippers are. By the way, Paul now. George hasn't been playing really. Yeah, I know no. his body's on the floor. But yeah. He hasn't been that, Paul George in a long time. Wait till Paul George becomes Paul George. <laughs> yeah, that, that's also a scary prospect. I think that's a big part of it. The Clippers are at full strength now. This is their first time really, like, really seeing that. I mean, they have the new the new guys they brought in. Marcus Morris is now in the starting lineup. Um, this is a huge game for the Lakers. When you just kind of look this year. You know, we talk about their 0-2 against the Clippers. You, you you take it a step further. 1-1 against the Rockets, 2-1 against the Nuggets, Bucks 0-1, Raptors 0-1, Celtics 1-1. So they're 4-7 against these teams who we are, like, raising up to be title contenders. They need that signature win. They need to kind of establish themselves in this battle of L.A. As, as, to make sure it's not one-sided. Uh, you know, it'll be definitely um, interesting to see how LeBron responds. You know, the, the way the Christmas Day game ended with that turnover that, that Pat Beverly forced – um, I think that is fresh on his mind. We'll see if if, if Kawhi uh, limits him once again. But I do ultimately think it, it falls on Anthony Davis. That is that one area that the Lakers have over the Clippers if AD is being AD. But again, the, the big thing is, will AD be AD? Um, I think that it, it really comes down to, to what he can do and how he can like you know lift the Lakers above the Clippers in this one. I agree. I, 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 like I said, this is a huge one for one. Do Anthony we do we think Davis. that the Lakers? So, well, I don't. There's nothing that LeBron ever needs to prove in March, right? We're just it's just not a thing. Um, you know, he's he's certainly proven that he has what it takes to do literally anything on a basketball court. In in that regard. Would it almost be better for the Lakers to, I don't want to say like roll over and not try to win this game, but if they really go for it and they still don't win or, or, or what happened, what just happened to Houston happens to them on Sunday, <laughs> like wouldn't you almost rather kind of give it a half-hearted effort and, and then not give the Clippers the confidence that they just own you? There is, I, there is an argument for that, and I think that the Lakers have played at least the Christmas Day game in that way, where they haven't shown their entire hand of things that they might try to do if these te- when these two teams, not if, when these two teams play in the playoffs. But I also believe that if you go out, swing your hardest, and try to knock someone out, and they just jab you to death and beat you, at least you have a blueprint to then go back and learn from. You learn a lot more from losses when you're trying than you do from wins when you're half heartedly going out there. So if they were to take an L, they have two months to then prepare themselves to go out and tweak things and say, all right, we gave it the best shot and that wasn't going to work. So now we have to go to plan B, C, and D. I also think that this is a big, uh, this game 
puts a spotlight on why it was so important that the Clippers got Marcus Morris. Because not only is that another person to throw at I LeBron. You, I don't know if he's serious or not. I No, I am. I'm being serious. And okay. I haven't killed Marcus Morris. Okay. But I, I mean it in the, in the sense that you go on, you go down the Clippers roster. Right. And you point at guys that can guard LeBron. It's, there's Kawhi. There's PG. There's Marcus Morris. They can put Harrell on him. Sure. You go down the Lakers roster and you say, okay, who are they going to put on Kawhi? <laughs> and it's, it's LeBron and like, that's it. Don't what are you going to put KCP on him? Don't do Kuzma? That to Avery Bradley. We get Avery Bradley on Kawhi? <laughs> they don't have anybody. What? And, this, yeah, and this is why signing Marcus Morris was so important just because it kept him away from LA. That's fair. I, who, seriously, go, go down the line on the Lakers. Who is guarding, and if not Kawhi, then who's guarding Paul George? Right. Who's guarding Trez? Who's, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's thin. It's thin on the, uh, it's on the win. But, but. You're giving me a weird look right now. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. Oh, boy. Dion Waiters, baby! Let's go! Waiters Island. Let's go! Kawhi doesn't want to end that's up why, on Waiters why, Island. That's why the Lakers aren't winning the title. <laughs> oh, man. That's why the Lakers aren't winning the title. Listen, man. If there's anyone that can delusionally think that he's going to be able to guard the best player in the league in oh Kawhi Leonard, it's Deion Waiters. He's going to put the clamps in I his mind. I can't wait till Deion Waiters takes the biggest shot of the Lakers, the biggest shot for the Lakers uh, in an elimination game, <laughs> clanks it, and LeBron's sitting there doing the J.R. Smith look at Deion. Uh, I mean, Deion Waiters has been there before. He's the OKC team that was up three one crucial role on the on the Golden State. I mean, we know that series ended, but up three one on the dominant Golden State Warriors. Deion Waiters is a part of that team too. So I mean, he's been there before. Maybe he'll, he'll bring some of that magic uh, back to LA. He and LeBron played together for like forty games. For you're gonna have to apologize. You're gonna have to apologize to Deion Waiters in two months. I, there's a zero percent <laughs> chance that, I'll, you know, that I'm you gonna know have what, to though? apologize like, to Deion Waiters. It, no, they, it's literally zero. It is. It is a. It was a completely different case and for completely different reasons. You're gonna but sit like, here and make the case for but, Deion Waiters. What is happening? But if, if, if how, they how many were, gummies did you have for breakfast? <laughs> just a half one. Oh no, just kidding, just kidding. Um, but no, um, if uh, I don't think anybody expected Dwight to be producing the way he's producing, and again, that's right. diff, different reasons. But they the the way they seem to have had a, a couple of, of talks, and they seem to have vetted the situation before they ended up, you know, giving Dwight this non guaranteed contract that he fulfilled, and then they guaranteed it. I feel like it had to have been like the same type of conversations with Deion Waiters and his that, camp. That is true. We've been hearing about Deion Waiters to the Lakers for about three, like you know, two I, weeks. Yeah, it, it, it feels like it feels like that. I mean, who knows what it will mean from a production standpoint? But just from you know, not taking away from the chemistry or anything of that nature, I don't think he will be a negative. He'll only be like a positive, or we just won't realize that he's there. I, I can't wait till they just start playing Deion Waiters instead of my guy Alex Caruso, who does nothing but awesome things whenever he steps on the floor. But sure, go with the shiny new toy. I can't. Waiters. I can't wait till next Incredible. time we're down here and we're giving shout outs, and you're giving Deion Waiters shout out and <laughs> apologizing not for not being in on it. It's never gonna happen. <laughs> well, it might happen after Sunday. Hey, no, the only the only way I'll apologize is if the Lakers win the title and Deion Waiters wins Finals MVP. <laughs> they could win. They could win the title, and if he's and, and I still will not apologize. <laughs> well, that's deep. Deion Waiters might be sporting a ring this season. Uh, if you guys, this is going to happen live right here on this pod not live by the time you guys listen to this obviously not live but live for to tape uh i put a player comparison in our slack chat group uh so a or b Ooh. and and while you well, guys are deciding some of those numbers yeah, while, while you guys are deciding player a 
19.9 points per game. This is this season, by the way. Both players this season. 19.9 points per game. 3.3 assists per game. 6.4 rebounds. Shooting 38% from three. 43% from the field. Player B, 19.7 points per game. uh, 2.3 assists. 4.4 rebounds. Shooting 44% from the field. Nothing screams riveting podcasts like reciting off 15 numbers in a row. This is, this is Mike Francis has made a whole career. I'm, this is one of the greatest <laughs> radio guys of all time. I, I feel like we're, we're definitely getting tricked here. There's no tricking. Uh, but I'm going to go with A. I'm going to go with the, be, the better three-point shooter takes more of them, better, better free-throw shooter, a lot more steals, more boards. Yep. I'm fully prepared for him to be the – Significantly worse player, but by default, I'm taking B. So you know, I'll be able to hold it over. Like I said, if if I got the better player, this isn't this isn't what I wasn't trying to trick. I'm not. I wasn't trying to trick either, guys. So uh, player A is this season's version of what we've seen out of Paul George. Okay. And who do you want to take a stab at? Who you think player B is? It's this season. This season. Shea Gillis Alexander. No. Yeah. Shea Shea's Dennis Schroeder. No. I got nothing. It's actually Wiggy. Oh, baby. Oh, okay. Okay. Those numbers are like, I know George is shooting a better percentage from three point range, and I wanted Comparable, to delete though. that, but it's right on par. Like, both, if Wiggy was doing this in anywhere, we'd be killing him. Both shooting 47% on twos. We'd be crushing him. Paul George is getting a little bit of a pass, you think? First performance so far. I, mean, he's I know been he's been hurt. hurt. He's been I know, very I know, hurt. Right? I know. But are we, are we sure that he's going to be healthy enough to actually get back to the level that he was playing at last season? I feel like that. I think that's kind of the caveat. The, the caveat we've had this year is just kind of like, okay, he's, he's getting over shoulder injuries. He's like battling other things as well. Like, I, I think, I don't want to say people are treating this as a throwaway year, but I think people are giving him some leeway with saying, like, okay, he's battling back from all these things. It's kind of uphill this year. Maybe this is like a, a more of an anomaly than it actually is. But I think that if this is sustained, maybe even through the playoffs, and people are going to start. Really having like some some questions that have some validity to him. When when does Paul George stop getting a pass? I guess that's, that's the question. Like I he's he has not been good <laughs> in three each of the last three times he's been in the playoffs. Uh, he just has not been good. 2016, 2017, shot thirty nine percent from the field. The year after that, no KC forty point eight. That's a Joe Ingles defense, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, then one and done last year, shooting 43% from the field. It's not all about field goal percentage. Of course it's not. Um, but it really, it's been like five years since he's played well for an extended stretch in the postseason. And, you know, and he's had some real, he's had some clunkers too. Yeah. Right? There's been, there's been some, some three for 18s and four for 19s and games of that ilk. And I, I, I don't have it off the top of my head. I didn't know we were going there today, but his, his clutch time shooting in the playoffs is epically horrible. Like, like the whole game tying or go ahead shots in the final 30 seconds for his career. I want to say it's like one for 25 or it's something <laughs> awful. Wow. Flashback to that quote when he, so, when he was saying, I, I tell my guys I need to be taking that shot. And then, uh, yeah, he definitely does <laughs> not need to be taking that shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I give him credit though for you said he's had some bad playoff series, but he's also had some good ones. Like he, he surprised a lot of people when, uh, Indiana was going deep into the playoffs way back when they had Roy Hibbert as their second best player. Like there was times where he was, you know, he was all right with, uh, with that as well. Uh, shout out time. Let's give, give some shout outs. Shout out time. I will first take it back to November 28th, 2019. 
Norman Powell is videoed Raptors official Twitter holding Fred Van Vliet Jr. getting <laughs> on to the Raptors team plane as they made their way to Orlando. Right. I remember watching that game in full and the entire team stunk it up except for Norman Powell. He had a then career high 33 points, 12 for 18 from the field. Um and led them to a win in a playoff rematch in a game in which they couldn't hit anything. That was that began a 25-game span that yesterday in Steph Curry's return, he had a, a new career high, 37 points. Since carrying Fred VanVleet Jr. on to the plane, he's averaging 19.8 points per game, shooting 53.5% from the field and 42% from the three, taking six threes a game. Norman Powell is a huge key to the Raptors and their success in the postseason. Um, Nick Nurse talked about it after the game last night. He's really developing to a three-level score. You're seeing him shoot from three, get to the rim, shooting pull-ups, floaters, get into the line. Um, and with the opportunity that came with Danny Green leaving, uh, Norman Powell has definitely stepped up to the challenge and uh, give Fred Van Vliet Jr. the credit where it is due as well. Before we get Mike a shout-out, I want to clean up what uh, the player comp I just had. That was actually Paul George and Andrew Wiggins' uh, career numbers through this season. Fair. Fair enough. Yeah, fair but, enough. But comparable. But so Andrew point, Wiggins point, is Paul George. Point, point being that Andrew Wiggins is putting up four, comparable numbers too, to so. Paul George, and Paul George gets a lot of praise for being one of the best two-way players in the league. Andrew Wiggins gets... The bus my uh, shout out time. My my first shout out is uh, Paul George, who for his career <laughs> is fourteen of eighty nine. Yikes! Game tying or go ahead shots in the final minute. That's the regular, playoff p. That's the regular season <laughs> and playoffs. But uh, fourteen of eighty nine, not Yikes. great. But my actual shout out, I want to, and I can't believe I'm doing this. I've already apologized to him once or twice on this podcast. Wow, uh, Carmelo Anthony. Oh wow, coming off the twenty five point. Uh, game against the Wizards. Big win for the Portland Trailblazers who looked out of it. I think a lot of people were expecting the New Orleans Pelicans to be, to be the team that swoops in and, Yourself included. and catches myself included. Oh, man, Memphis I was, is done. I wasn't on What's that. the opposite of a shout-out? Because that's what the Pelicans should get right now. Blow it up. Blow it up. <laughs> it all comes full circle. No, but uh, Carmelo, the Blazers right there in it. Uh, they are eight and five this season when he scores twenty or more, and seven games since the All Star break. Mister Efficiency himself, mm. Carmelo Anthony, a cool fifty forty ninety. Mm. Well, eighteen and five since the break. Carmelo Anthony uh, gets my shout out. He's Jeez, been great. Well, I will say if, this. Wait a second. If we go back to when we were thinking, is Carmelo going to find a spot again? Did you ever think you'd be giving him a shout out? Yeah. No, I told. I told Carlin there was like a 0% chance we were going to see him in the NBA this year. See? So, I mean, again. That was in October. I see see the parallels. A Syracuse guy, top five pick. (laughs) Hey, it's it's, it's happening. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm just saying if Carmelo ended up in L.A. with LeBron, what would he be doing then? You think LeBron's kicking himself a little bit for not? I think the entire Because he could have had Carmelo. Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. 100%. yeah. But, but, but. I mean, imagine Kawhi frying Carmelo. In the <laughs> I mean, <playoffs>. right? <laughs> yes, yeah. so, Carmelo yeah. ain't the answer. No, yeah. uh, my shout out goes to someone who does not get fried. Uh-oh. Cody Martin. Oh, who? What do we do? Why are we wasting my, time talking about? Be, Cody? Because it's shout out. We got to give light to people that don't normally get in. Cody Martin is one of those guys. Has earned himself a starting spot on the Hornets roster in due part to his great. Defense. This is a guy with the potential to be don't say it. an all-NBA defender. Okay. He's that good on the defensive 
end. Can't do much on the offense yet, but that's coming around. Me and Gil were in the building this week to watch Cody Martin play. Who were they playing? We were in the building to watch Cody Martin play. We were in the building to watch the Hornets play the Spurs, when and Cody Martin got he, a start, he and, had, and he impressed. He impressed. he impressed. He had seven assists in that game. Cody Martin doing a little bit of everything, shot well from the field. He followed it up by having a stinker offensively, but the point remains. Cody Martin's there's defense, there. there's, there's potential. There. He could be a starter. Cody Martin's defense is NBA caliber. He can definitely guard some of the best players on the wing in the entire league. When he's off the floor, the Hornets are giving up seven more points. Look at 100%. you going a little on off. I, you know what? I'm really happy that you didn't go where I thought you were going to go. Because about a month ago, in referencing uh, Mr. Cody Martin, <laughs> no, no, you didn't say defensive player of the year, but you did say he kind of reminds me of someone. Who did I say? I don't remember. You compared him to Kawhi Leonard. Did I? Hey. So thank defensively, you. Defensively, though. So thank you for not going no, there. No, I was never did. Even no, if I just did and called defensively, you. Defensively. <laughs> defensively. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's, he is locked down defensively, though. So I had to give a shout out to my man, Cody Martin. Most people aren't paying attention to him, so I am. Uh, that's it this week. A lot happened. We got a lot of names off. I didn't thought we'd talk about anything better when we started this podcast. But uh, forgive McGregor. Mike Adams. I'm Carlin Gay. We will see you next week, and we will find out if AD did indeed show up. This is NBA Sound System. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.